Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. I want to just invite you again if you trickled in a bit later and uh, if you've never been to a, a Good Friday service, it's kind of like a, a strange thing to feel like we're celebrating something but we're not right away and we're sad but we're happy and we're not sure and there's all kinds of emotions. You know, when I was growing up, I remember so much of my upbringing with church was that a Good Friday was almost about Easter. You know, we couldn't even stay in a moment of like sadness or you know, just confusion. We were like, no, no, positivity. You know, people like that, just it's positive. And it's like, well, not so fast. You know, and the, the Bible actually says that one of the things we will feel around this night is how foolish this is. How foolish that we would be, believe that a dead guy on a cross can heal the world. The Bible says that for some of us, it just seems so foolish. Maybe you feel that. I feel that sometimes. Like, there's a lot of problems in the world. Like, is this going to fix the problems? And Jesus comes. He says, I'm going to do something now that's going to heal something in you. And then by my spirit, you will start to deal with the issues in the world because you welcomed me. And so tonight, we want to just invite you, next few minutes, to think about this with us. And then we're going to move you towards communion and then just send you off. So we're not going to be too long. And hopefully, we'll do that quick enough before the power goes out. That's the goal. But as I was preparing, I found this picture uh, that I had on my computer, and it brought me back to a time when my kids were younger. And it was a time when we were uh, kind of traveling with some friends. We weren't living in, in Quebec at the time. We're in Ontario. And you'll see this picture. My, my kids, one of my kids' friends saw this thing called the Hurricane Simulator. Have any of you ever been in one of these? Right? It's garbage, by the way. Okay. So it's a, pretty much like my kids saw this, and you put in a lot of money. And what happens is you go in there, it's, it sucks in the, the, the air, and then you press the button, and there's levels of like how strong you want the wind to, to go. And it starts, and it feel, it's meant to make you feel like you're in this, this hurricane. So it starts, you hear the wind, and the wind starts blowing. You can see the kids, they're so excited. And I, that's Luke, our youngest there at the time. He's just crying, and he's like, my dad doesn't love me, and nobody loves me. Uh, but, but I thought like so much of life is like we want to simulate other things that we really don't want to be a part of. Our world is filled with simulation. Actually, we have a whole industry called AI that's actually working right now and spending billions of dollars to simulate things for you so that you can kind of experience a little bit of things without the risk of the real thing. Good Friday is one of those moments that we can almost get caught into wanting to simulate what happened. Like we have something called like, you know, the Holy Land Museum. Like the, we, we've built all kinds of things to say, come and just experience what it was like. But we never really get to the risk, the pain, the regret, the anger of being with Jesus in this moment. You cannot simulate this. 
You can't just kind of get some of it and then not get the rest of it. And actually, Jesus had this way that it's during this week, as we get to this night, really Thursday, Friday, if you want to be more accurate, right? As you get into this moment where Jesus is going to invite people who've been maybe pretending to follow him, pretending to like him, to come closer. And a lot of people will not come closer. That's why we know that the Bible says that the most intimate times that Jesus will have is going to be with his closest followers. Those that did not just stay far away, but those that came near, those that got closer. And, and if you've never read the Bible, you might be surprised to know this. There's this fascinating rhythm in the Bible with people who come to Jesus with a question and then leave. Or they come to Jesus with a problem and then they go away. There's this movement of people that come and go whenever they want Jesus on their terms. They come to Jesus because they're going to test him. And then they try it and it's like he's so smart. And then they leave. And then when they're ready again, they come again. They're like, hey, Jesus, I have a question. And, and at this point in following Jesus, Jesus says there's no more coming and going, coming and going on your terms. Now you come and you go where I'm going to go. And for a lot of people, this was the moment where they're like, you know what? We're going to just stay at a distance. We're just going to watch from the distance. We're just going to analyze what's going on. And we live in a culture of analyze. We analyze everything at a distance, right? You know people like that? Maybe it's you. There's a problem in the world. What do you do? We just analyze. We know what it would be like in the Ukraine. You know what I would do if I was in the Ukraine? You know what I would do if I was in charge of COVID? You know what I would do? We, we love, like there's an industry for just analyzing things at a distance. Oh, tips from far away. And Jesus says, not now. Now you must come near. Now you must come closer and listen and feel the pain of what's happening right now. We've actually been inviting you. For some of you, if this is your first time, welcome. But we've been inviting many of you, if you're watching online, you know this, to get more serious about letting Jesus come close as we've dealt with things that we'd rather not talk about. Painful, sinful moments in our lives that we know Jesus says, hey, hey, you need to come close now because I will tell you how much I love you and then I will tell you that there's strength for you to not be bondage to these sins. And if you've been following, you know that there's one sin left for us to really deal with. And surprisingly, this sin shows up in the Good Friday story, in the story of Easter, in this weekend. So, so just to help you maybe think through this and maybe incorporate this a bit, I'm going to do something. I'm going to put two passages on the screen. You're going to see them in a second. And I'm going to give you 30 seconds, for those of you who like to read nice and slowly, 40 seconds, to quietly read these passages and to see if you can guess what that sin is. Let's read. Let me know. Let me feel it. Some of you are like, I, I would do that. That in these next few hours and days in the story of Easter, we realize that greed is at the heart of an important thing that happens 
in the heart of one of the disciples of Jesus. And if you've never seen it before, you can actually read the story in the Bible of where greed seeps into the story of where Judas, for enough money, probably roughly 30 pieces of silver would be like $500. U.S. I don't think that counts. Like that's $50 Canadian, whatever that is. No, I'm kidding. Okay. And then later on in the story, there's the, the, the men at the tomb. It's like if we can give them enough money, that we just need them to be greedy enough to lie. Let's get them that. We found some. It's perfect. Or if you want to go just before the story begins, there's a woman who's going to pour perfume all over Jesus' feet. We've talked about this. And they're going to be like, why are we wasting all this money? You know what we could have done with that money? Or Jesus walks into the temple and they turn the temple into a theme, like a den of thieves and robbers. They're selling money and they're trying to make more money in the temple where people have come to worship. Like greed seems to just be lurking around the whole thing. By the way, Jesus has two robbers who are going to be crucified with him. It's there. Greed. Just wanting just a bit more money. If only we had money. And I know for some of us, money's not the thing, but money will make us feel a certain way and act a certain way and present ourselves in certain ways. In this story, we've talked about this, how the devil's been trying to keep Jesus from this moment. And at this time, he says, what if one of his followers is just greedy enough to give him up? And that's part of, a central part of the story. And Christians will come back to this, and we need to come back to this and ask ourselves, what is it that we would do just for a bit more money? What's something we would give up? Or what, how far would you go by for just getting just a little bit more? You know how our culture teaches us to be fine with greed, to be fine with all these sins, to say, like, if only you had enough. Just think about this. What would be enough for you to be happy? What is that number? Do you have enough now? A bit more money in your bank account, would that be enough? A raise, would that be enough? Because we live in a world that if enough never gets defined by God and by what God says, we will never be happy until we just have a bit more. And their greed waits to say, wait a second, do you have enough? Is this enough? Are you happy now? And I've met people, I've, I've been with people a long time that have had all the money in the world and they're still not happy. If only they had more. If only just a bit more. If only they had enough that people would recognize them as special. If only more. And at Easter, Good Friday, it's all there. We just need to find a few people who are just greedy enough to give him up. And Judas enters this moment and he says, you know what, like, sure. Maybe for you tonight is the time where you get honest enough with God and with yourself and you admit that God needs to heal some of this in your own life. Maybe it's not greed like it is with Judas, but maybe it's another thing that we've been talking about, another sin, because at the heart of Good Friday, you want to remember this, that God has been telling his people that sin will kill them, and now sin has killed Jesus. That's the move of the whole story, that God says your sin has not only killed you, your sin is now going to kill me. And what he does on the cross, and when we look back and look at the story of the cross, is so that we would believe that because of what Jesus does, we today do not have to live in bondage to the ways of sin anymore. That we don't have to live gripped by all the things in this world that will promise something, happiness, goodness, influence, significance, all these things that sometimes come from this good place of God saying, I want to bless you because I love you. And then they turn sinful. You know, if you were following Jesus, there's one thing that you would probably feel uncomfortable with, is that if you're with Jesus enough, you remember, 
that people would come and they would go. They would come and they go. But if you stay with Jesus enough, sooner or later, Jesus would probably say something that it would offend you or me. He would probably bring something up that would deal with the sin that you're dealing with. He would say, hey, about this issue, when are you going to deal with this? I remember years ago, I was talking to somebody and there was something going on in their marriage and it was really, really painful. And I brought something up with a person that I knew was kind of causing real pain in their, in their marriage. They got so mad at me. They were so offended. And they did something that I think I do all the time. You ready for this? If you don't have something that you do when you get offended, I'm going to give you something. You could do this, okay? Ready? When somebody says something to you that you know is true, but you're offended, you think of something that they do bad and you pick on that. You ever try this? It's great. So that you never have to deal with your problems. If somebody says, you know what? You seem to have an anger issue. And I think that's going to destroy your marriage. Yeah, but you're perfect, you. <laughs> Say it like that. Exactly. You ever tried? It works. We live in a world where we've mastered that nobody's allowed to tell me anything's wrong with my life unless they're perfect. You know what that means? That nobody can ever tell you anything with your life. It's foolproof. Because we are fools. Sin makes us fools. To think that there's no one that could say, hey, hey, this is wrong. And Jesus will gently, in a loving and gracious way, at times say, hey, hey, you Pharisees, you know the Bible so well, but your heart is so dirty. And they could say like, we think he's right. We got to get better. And what they say is like, we're going to kill him. You see how it works? You know why we know it works? Because we do that. That this is the night where Jesus says, so what sins do you want to talk about? What things do I need to remind you that you've let go or you thought they didn't matter or you thought you could get away with them? What secrets do you have that you must now surrender to me and you will see what it looks like when I carry those sins? Because if you don't know anything about sin, you need to remember, sin is not just a bad thing that we do. At the root, it's a violation of a relationship with who God is. Okay, God's not just mad because we do like the wrong things. We experience this division because it violates the goodness and the love of God in our lives. And if you, we don't have time tonight, but you can go through a whole series we've been on. We have a chance to say, God, we understand that sin, on this night specifically, not only kills us, but sin has killed you. That only Jesus could do something that would destroy not only sin like universal, but then allow us to experience the power so that we no longer now have to live under the bondage of sin. And whenever people got close to Jesus and he brought this up, they would bail. I mean, I, I think I would do that. I'm like, don't go to Jesus. Don't, let's not hang out with him today. It's one of those days where he's calling people out on stuff. Let's come back on another day. I think all of us would get offended. He'd be hard to be around Jesus when he would do that. We'd be like, let's talk about someone else. No, Jesus, let's talk about you. Do you know how mad you have to be at Jesus calling you out to want him to die? Have you ever been mad at somebody that mad that you wish they died? Don't put your hand up. Like, do you know how upset you have to be with someone? Just think about it, like 30 seconds. Do you have someone in your mind, you're like, I'm so mad at that person, that if I found out that they died, I'd be like a little bit happy. Anyone? 
No. You're not there? Maybe. Soon. Then you know how mad you have to be that at a person to not only want him to die, but then to be like, and when he dies, let's crucify him. Anyone come to mind? That you're like, yeah, I have someone I would like crucified. Anyone? Do you know how mad and how honest about sin and brokenness Jesus has been throughout his life? To have people say, we want him crucified. Sin, anger, envy, pride, jealousy, all of them are there and they're swirling and growing. And Jesus is like, sin is going to kill you and now it's going to kill me. That at one point in the whole story, people are just so shocked. And one of the people that's the most famous caught up in the story, his name is Pilate. Pilate has to deal with Jesus and he's like, dude, what did you do? Like, these people are really mad. Like, just think about it. I'm going to read a passage to get closer to how Jesus has to deal with this. This is what we're told. That while Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, talking about Jesus. For I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Like, Jesus is waiting now in the, in the middle of the, before he gets crucified. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Do you know how mad you have to be? And we know that even for Pilate, he's like, listen, I'm a mean guy and I'm a horrible guy. But you know what I'm going to do out of this? I'm washing my hands. We actually have this idea. You wash your hands like Pilate saying, I want nothing to do this. I don't even know how mad you've made them. Jesus makes everybody mad when he tells us the truth about who we really are. Jesus would make all of us upset. I know we want the loving Jesus with the kids, and we get that Jesus too, by the way. But when Jesus comes around, he says, this sin will destroy everything. And you now have a chance to trust in what I do on the cross so that the sin that I conquer will never conquer you again. The sin that Jesus conquers for us is now meant to be destroyed unless we say, sin, it's not that bad. It's not a big deal. It's none of your business. Jesus says, it is my business. And so I just want to turn our attention to the table. And the, the band's going to come up and play a bit of music, and Pastor Michael's going to prepare us to come to the table. But I want to tell you something that happened to me a few weeks ago. It was just last week, actually, that has never happened to me before. That we basically, I, I, because of some people in the church, they, I, I got a request on whether I would be part of a funeral for somebody who passed away a few months ago. I've never actually been part of a funeral celebration for somebody so close to Good Friday and Easter like in my life. So it was interesting to be part of this season of mourning and remembering for, for a, a man who the family loved, it was a wonderful man, and, and to just think about like just the, the, the pain that happens when we say goodbye to someone that we love. If you're new to this and you're not sure like what Good Friday is about, just Good Friday is the time where Jesus tells people what his funeral is going to look like. I know people that are very uncomfortable talking about death and funerals. And, you know, I once said that to my wife, you know, we should be planning our funerals. You know, what? It's not something we think about. And as part of this funeral that I was a part of, the people in the family, a few people in the family got up to share what they remembered most about the person who died. Maybe you've been to a funeral, you know that. They got up and they told a story of how special it was when they went to 
so-and-so and how special it was when they said this word. You know, we, we live in a culture where we feel like we need to remember the people that were with us and they passed on. Like We want to remember something beautiful about them. And maybe you, you've lost a loved one. You have something in your home that reminds you, like, I want to remember this about them. But on Good Friday, all of us, every single one of us, does not get to decide how we remember Jesus. Jesus tells us how we're supposed to remember. Imagine if you were at a funeral, and before anybody speaks, a person gets up and says, hey, hey, by the way, we don't want to hear from any one of you. We're going to read you a document that the person left that says, this is how you're going to remember me. How many would be like, let's all be quiet and let's listen to the document, right? On Good Friday and throughout the year, we together stop and realize that Jesus said, this is how you will remember me. And that moment happens when Jesus invites his followers around a meal. We can spend the whole night talking about this meal. But if you just want to remember this meal in a very simple way, this meal was forever connected to the faithfulness of God, to, the, to basically the Passover story that happened in the, with the people in Egypt. So it's a long story. So if you're just getting to the story right now, you'd be like, well, I don't know what that story is. So just to make it simple, Passover was about God setting his people free. And Jesus and his disciples know this. They're going to sit at a table and they're going to think about Passover. Not only was it that God had set his people free in Egypt as slaves, but that God set them free meant that God was faithful. And as Jesus is talking about this meal, he says, hey, by the way, I want to tell you something you've never heard before. Now, this meal will, about, will be about how I set you free. And this meal is going to be about how God is going to be faithful and raise me up from the dead. Do you believe that? Can you imagine? They're like, wait, wait a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back it up. We heard you say something from the dead. We back up that part. I mean, let me say it again. And I could see as Jesus is explaining this, we read about it in the Bible. We don't get all the details, but we read about it. He's probably asking them, hey, take off your shoes now. This is the time where I wash your feet. This is the reminder where you now welcome the freedom and faithfulness of God because you believe what I said to you. You believe what's about to happen now. And just like all of us, they're like, what? What are you talking about? In a few minutes, we're going to invite you to come and to take a cup. And as you take it with you, I want you to think about that simple idea that you trust God's freedom and God's faithfulness as you deal with sin and pain and suffering and all the things you carry. Because in this moment, Jesus says, if you don't partake of this in that way, you will never experience the power of what the cross is about. And for those of you who don't believe it, and you don't understand what this means. Actually, in the New Testament, we're told exactly what this means for us, and I'm going to read it for you. It's profound. It says this. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us, not some of us, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? This is the New Testament saying, if you want to understand what's about to happen, is you're about to enter 
the baptism of being fully dead to yourself so that you can experience what it means that you will be raised again to new life. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray that each of us would really understand what it means that sin is destroying us and it has destroyed our Jesus. And that as he does this, he doesn't do this by mistake. He doesn't do this because he he got caught up in a weird situation. The Bible tells us that Jesus willingly gives himself up for this because there is no other way. None of us can fix this. None of us can just have willpower and just be better next week. There's none of that here. There's only one thing, and that's surrender. Surrender. Let me just pray for us. Jesus, we believe that you're at work by the power of the Holy Spirit now just bringing to our attention things that might be offensive for us to hear, things that we would rather ignore. But tonight we want to be honest, more honest than we've ever been, to understand that not only does sin destroy us, but on this night sin has destroyed you. Sin is what you had to carry to restore the brokenness of it all. And like your first followers, we live in the tension of how is this possible? Why did you have to pay? You were innocent. Could there be any other way? All of those questions are our questions. So do something deep in us now as we respond to your leading. Pray this in your name, Jesus. your phone. 
take communion together now and um, as we do just especially on this day but every time we take communion we can't it's impossible to share this meal together to come to the table and not to come face to face with our own sin to come face to face to confront the things in us that have violated God's ways come face to face with the things in us that are, are broken and to admit even that it's our sin that put Jesus on the cross and we really as we look as we are faced towards the table we really have a choice that Jesus gives us either to turn away or to walk away to reject him to pretend that that sin doesn't matter or to as we get honest about it and come before him to realize that he's the one who says to us, you are welcome at the table. That as a sinner, you are welcome. And that I am the only one as you're honest about that sin that can heal you of that. That I am the one that even before you knew I was at the table, even in your darkest moments, I was coming for you that I could find you to invite you here to share this meal with me. Every time we, we take this meal together, he, he calls us as well to remember the cross. To remember that he is the one that as he died on the cross, he took our sin and he nailed it to the cross as well. As we share communion together as well, it's one of the great symbols even as we think of our own baptisms for those who've been baptized. That communion, every time we take it, we reaffirm that this is the place where we share in Christ's death. That we share in his death and that we surrender, as we take it, we surrender our sin to him. That he could nail it to that cross. And so just as we, the, the band's going to continue playing. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're new here or you're just kind of learning about Good Friday for the first time, you came with a friend, you're exploring, we just want you to, to just know there's no pressure to come up. In fact, we just invite you to stay seated at this time. Just know there's no judgment, that you're so welcome here. 
Um, but you know, as we've been going through this series, and we've just invited you over this seven, seven weeks to just maybe think of one, one, one of these seven sins that have really you're recognizing has gripped your heart. As you come up, would you reflect on that? And would you, as you come up to take the meal, leave it at the table? Surrender that to Jesus and let him again pin that. Know that he has pinned that to the cross. He has nailed that sin to the cross. And so we're going to just invite you uh, to come up by sections. We'll go uh, section by section this way. And again, you can come up and take the, the bread and the juice and, and sit back down. And then we'll have some instructions. Pastor Dom's going to come up uh, with Sarah to, to kind of walk us through that. Uh, but just invite you, what is, the, what is the sin that has really gripped your heart that you need to surrender back to God to remember again how much God, Jesus wants to set you free as you come to the table? Uh, just as we, we go as well, section by section, for kids who are here, um, if you have, you have a package that you have had with you, if, if you didn't, it's okay, but you might have seen on the back that it invites you uh, with that kind of bendy stick thing to make a cross. If you did that, you are welcome to come up and to just come to the table and leave the cross at the table, to come with your parent and leave the cross. Just as a symbol, even for yourself, or to remember that God has died for you, just to know what Jesus has done because he loves you so much. So as we enter this time, I'm just going to invite you to pray with me. Jesus, thank you that we can never come to this table on our own terms but only on your terms. And that you invite us here to remind us that you are the only one who sets us free. Would you help those of us who are just struggling to believe in your forgiveness and your goodness and your faithfulness, would you just restore and renew that in us? That you are a God who loves us and that you are the God who wants us to experience the fullness of your freedom. So would you lead us in this time as we come to your table? Pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Come as you feel led.
It's really special to see all these crosses up here. Thank you, kids, for bringing them up. The reason we look back on this night and celebrate the cross for what it is is because Jesus resurrected. The Romans killed a lot of people on crosses. The Romans even killed dogs on crosses. Crucifixion was deadly. So bad that Roman citizens could not be crucified. But we look back on the cross with a special meaning because Jesus rose from the dead. Tonight, we were invited, all of us, to get serious about our sin. One of the oldest artifacts we have that tries to depict the cross and Jesus dying also has Judas in the picture. It's from the 5th century. I actually have a picture of it for you. And in the picture, you have Judas hanging from a tree as Jesus hangs from a tree. Some of you might not know this, but Judas will come to regret deeply what he did. So much so that he takes his own life. When I saw this, I, I realized like in a profound way that you have to pick one of these two people every Easter. Who are you going to be? The person who trusts that Jesus can destroy sin or the person who will take it lightly and one day be destroyed by sin? Who will you be? As we do when we take communion, we read the passages in the scriptures that Jesus said, you will remember me this way. And I'm going to invite one of our youth to come and just read it, read it for us. You'll actually see it on the, on the screen. She's going to read the first part, and then we'll take the wafer and the bread together. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's take it together. Before we dismiss you, I just wanted to leave you with something to think about as we think about what it would have been like for us to be in that moment. You know, those of you who are part of the 180, maybe you've been here for a while, you know that we often talk about the creed. It's the great way we talk about what it means that we believe that Jesus was God and what he did restores everything. And so we did, we have a, a video that we want to show you that is part of the creed that ends at Good Friday. So let's just stand and play this video and then I'll pray for us as we go. Take a look at this video on the screen.
I believe. I believe. I enlist. I believe in God. Maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Jesus, just like your first followers, we leave here tonight feeling the weight of you being gone. We carry that as we go. Our questions, our doubts, the regrets of your followers. Did they just waste three years of their lives? How are you dead? We go now and we live in this tension. And we ask by the power of the Spirit that you would do something deep in us, preparing us to come back and to worship together again as we celebrate that sin and death would not get the final word. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless everyone. See you Sunday.